0: Hey, it's Heather, and in this episode of Not Just Heathers, we are joined by Joshua Liston from Australia. Josh and I have had a connection for a long time through a familiar community. I hope that you enjoy listening to his stories that he has to share from his journey. Hey, Josh, thank you so much for joining me. I'd like to say that you're my Australian correspondent because that's how you always refer to me when I join you for Dead Set Podcasting, but thank you for being here.
1: I'm very excited. I've got to admit, I'm more excited than I am informed. So I don't exactly know <laughs> what we're talking about today, but I'm I'm definitely up for it. So I've got a rough idea, but I'm thinking we'll probably go down as I think we tend to some tangents, possibly. <laughs> I am looking
0: forward to those.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they seem
0: to be quite good. They bring out some gems. <laughs> Our connection kind of came about from the Gun and Geek Network, which you've been a part of. And one day you reached out and asked if I would be a voice you for On The Bubble, which is one of your shows, and I've joined you for Dead Set Podcasting guest spots. Thank you so much for having me on those. I love talking with you and sharing our experiences.
1: Yeah, so I think the Gunner Geek Network thing was one of the better communities I've discovered on the internet Mm -hmm. in terms of just all different kinds of people with myriad interests that had like a side interest in something that was part of the network. And from there, I've discovered lots of little groups of people. The reason that we, on the Bubble Podcast for people who don't know, and I'm assuming most people probably don't, (laughs) is just a show about TV, but it's a very niche show even within TV podcast world. and I think I might have asked you to read some quotes that were originally read by...
0: Leslie Ann Brandt.
1: Yes, correct. Who I later found out is actually South African, even though she does sound like she's a New Zealander, like yourself. <laughs> yeah. But it was just honestly to make that show more interesting from an audio perspective. So the quotes weren't just me reading everything the whole time. Yeah. So, and then from there, yeah, we've chatted a few times and you've come on and done some of the most well-received episodes of Dead So Podcasting. So I should be thanking you. Oh, you. I- For that. I've had a lot of great feedback for that, but yeah.
0: That's awesome to hear. It's uh, it's always amazing to get feedback and I'm glad that it's been positive because, you know.
1: Yeah, I think with that particular show, because it's about the thing that we do, the podcasting thing, creating the shows, I might be seen as a little bit of a grumpy old Grinchy type when it comes to that. So maybe there is people that don't like it, but they just haven't bothered telling me because I know I don't care. I'm not sure.
0: (laughs) I think though, as we've talked and we've shared some of our things, like I said, some gems have come out and we've kind of realized a few things about the way that we do things or got to share recent experiences that we've had. And I think you are a multi-passionate person anyway you're passionate about comedy and podcasting. And we've talked about how trying to fit those things together and working out the journey to be able to create and share those things, which I love because the whole process behind how we do things is so fascinating, not just the destination that we get to.
1: Yeah. I think we're pretty simpatico there that we're, and just as a complete side note, when it comes to passion, the reason, if you've ever heard me before and you're now listening to this, you might be thinking it sounds different because I'm actually in an office with a window to my main street, because the room neighbouring my normal studio room, there's a very passionate man in there screaming (laughs) into his MacBook at the moment. And Like, I don't want that on there in case there's swear words or all kinds of crazy things. So Heather, I've moved into a building that has probably 30 rooms and I'm stuck next to the one guy that yells at Ah. his computer. No. Yeah, so that's annoying. So it probably sounds a little more echoey. And the other thing is my voice is just total trash from a medication change recently. So that hasn't helped. But side note over, we were talking about passions. I think we like the journey of creating things as much as the end product. Absolutely. Which is probably why when it comes to a show like Dead Set Podcasting, that I'm sure there's more people that disagree with me on my perspective than there is that agree with me. Because a lot of people are in the space now creating shows with... An outcome-driven perspective. Mm-hmm. They want to achieve something or they're making a show for some other reason other than the show itself. Yeah, That doesn't mean the show's necessarily bad. The show they're making could be incredible. But I think when it comes to perspective and maybe drive to create the thing in the first place, you and I are making it to do the thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's about maybe a craft perspective. We like the craft Mm -hmm. and also maybe the artistry as well, but not to get too esoteric. I think it's more of a craft perspective, if that makes sense. I know that's probably a bit of a weird term, but the making the thing and the building it and the doing it and the editing and all the stuff, whether it's fun or not at the time, I think that's all part of why we're making audio shows.
0: Absolutely. An art, a craft, a form of expression, all of the things. And it is a journey. It's not straightforward it's a whole learning experience as you go figuring out all the technical things and even the direction that you want to take it in because that can change and I think that's one thing that I've learned just recently from our conversations and also other ones that I've been having that sometimes you can get yourself stuck in a little box of what you set out to do and that changes but you haven't moved out of that box so it's hard to adapt with where you're wanting to go with something that you're creating and I'm just going through that at the moment so it's been an interesting time.
1: Yeah. And one thing that I've realized recently about myself is that I was seeing that enjoyment that I get out of making the show, building the show, the actual craft and artistry part of it. I became very obsessed with that's how everyone should view making audio or making things Mm -hmm. and that no other perspective on making things is legitimate. (laughs) And I don't know why I got stuck in that mode, but it might go back to I grew up playing in progressive rock bands that are about the most how can I put this? They're some of the most self-centered, self-aggrandizing musicians that you'll ever come across. This is music. Nothing else is real music. We're doing the real thing. You guys all suck. You're all commercial shills. And I think that that has kind of carried over into what I make in audio sometimes that when I see someone make a show that has, I guess, a not an ulterior motive, although that's how I see it, but a secondary motive or a primary motive that's not artistry. I can get all on my high horse about that. And I have in the past. And it probably puts people off listening to me because they then have to separate the grumpiness and the snobby artist from the good advice maybe that I've got. So, I'm trying to be more open-minded. I mean, we're we're in a space that is getting bigger and not just bigger in terms of size and numbers because I don't really care about that stuff, but bigger in terms of the number of people creating, Mm -hmm. the number of reasons that people make stuff, but also the number of people that it's touching out in the world. Like There's people that listen to shows that maybe do want it to be. They get massive amounts of enjoyment out of a run-of-the-mill true crime show. There's not too many of them in the world. There'll never be too many. They'll listen to as many as they want, and they get as much enjoyment out of that as maybe I do out of a show that I love. Yeah. So, yeah, it's only through conversations with people like yourself that I break out of my own little post-prog rock podcast. <laughs> I call it a snob bubble. <laughs> I've been stuck in a snob bubble,
0: oh, well, I'm glad that we can have these conversations to kind of
1: <laughs> punch of <in> the bubble <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I know that, like I've been recording a couple of these conversations for this new podcast that I'm doing, and it has been amazing to just connect with people because it's been a little while since I've done that, and I don't talk to a whole bunch of people in my everyday life. I get to do my work without having to interact with a lot of people, so. It's always nice to hear and challenge our perspectives and our ways of thinking and question things and share that together.
1: It is, and I agree, but can we go on maybe another tangent here quickly? Absolutely. This is something I brought up with a gentleman. Part of what I do is help people make shows in my little studio. Mm -hmm. And there's a really important and powerful mental health show that I get to be part of called FYI, All Things Mental Wellness. Awesome. And that show is probably one of the most important and most impactful things I've ever done in audio. And I just get to be the guy that pushes the button is pretty cool. And basically, I was saying to one of the co-hosts of the show, he was talking about how businesses now have realized that they can have remote workforces to them, maybe a greater degree than what they ever had or be completely remote. Mm-hmm. And I guess because the environment around that show is a mental health kind of conversation even when we're off air, Yeah. I asked him, do you think that there's more to work than just the end product and the, the productivity that comes from work, the end result? Like, mm-hmm. are these people getting other things out of their work? And not everyone needs to be around people all the time and have interactions and conversations and jokes with people and, you know, there's people that don't come out of their shell until they're at work and then maybe that's where they express themselves around, Other humans that they work with, yeah. Like as someone that works remotely, what's your perspective on not having the choice? Maybe going forward to have human contact at the office, so to speak. Have you ever thought about that? I know it sounds like I'm interviewing you here. Just (laughs) (laughs) that's okay. I'm just picking up on the tone in your voice. It sounds like maybe you're okay with that.
0: Yeah, but then I've been okay with that for a long time because I've worked from home in a situation where. I don't need to. So (laughs) I imagine that lockdown, for example, last year was not very difficult for me in one way because I have always worked from home. So, well, not always, but for a very long time and used to that. It was that I had other people in my space who were also at home, which made it a challenge and getting used to that dynamic because the boundaries when you work from home, for example, are blurred between work and home. You could work all day long if you had the time and not other commitments with other people. So there's that. But then I also imagine it would be hard for people who had gone to work normally and then are not going to work and not interacting with people. And I think a lot of things came up, I saw that people were like doing virtual work things together. So they would hop on a video call and just work at home, but there would be someone else working that they could briefly chat with or see or something kind of to replicate that environment. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it's just fascinating. I think maybe getting back to how we came to know each other through the Gunner Geek Network. Uh Networks like that and the Discord server they have now, maybe they fill in a little bit of that gap of, oh, there's this person at work, Trent. And I talk to him about the Marvel movies because not everyone in my life cares about that, but there's one guy at the office that I know does, and I get to talk to him about Marvel. And there's people that have a similar perspective on sci-fi TV shows that I talk to when the sales rep that comes in to sell me toilet paper. (laughs) <laughs> he He loves Battlestar Galactica,
0: nice.
1: I talk to him about that or whatever. yeah I think that there are communities out there on online, and it's probably why I do still enjoy being part of the Gunner Geek Network community as much as I do enjoy having a show on the network is that there's no one in my life that cares more about talking about whether Dark Matter is a good show than s p does from Gunner Geek. <laughs> Like I can't go to just my general friendship group and say, do you think that that scene is just a derivative of this from Battlestar Galactica in season one? They don't care about that. (laughs) They're going to be like, Josh, stop being a nerd. Go Start talking about tennis again. At least that's not as nerdy.
0: (laughs) I love that there are the Discord servers and Gunner Geek has a great one. But going sort of further back, how did you come to be a part of the Gunner Geek network?
1: I think I started out probably by scoping out another podcast about podcasting because and to be honest there was a period Heather where I listened only because I was hate listening Uh and I hate to I don't like to use that word but I disliked so much of the advice out there that I was fueling my own I I was using it as creative energy Mm -hmm. that I didn't like a lot of what I was hearing and I thought well that's fine if you it's fine to say work the social media angle and be everywhere if you have lots of money behind you and you can advertise your show and you happen to look like a male model and all these things that worked for people that I don't, th- I didn't think they were talking about. And I stumbled across Better Podcasting and that show spoke directly to me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even that they were hobbyists. It wasn't that perspective. It's just they were saying some of the things where I'd thought about in the past, uh, but there are more shows in the world besides business shows. Yeah, The advice this, these shows are offering is probably great if you're running a generic interview show for entrepreneurs, but there's a million shows in the world that aren't that. And I really liked SP, because I think we his vibe was kind of a bit more like my vibe <laughs> whereas I think I think he's a pretty fun person but he can slip maybe into a more serious tone and I was a bit more of a serious person I think in general when I discovered their show about the art form, so to speak. (laughs) so And then over time, I really started to appreciate Stephen's point of view. And also, him and I have probably had the most contact, like individual, personal, one-on-one WhatsApp messages and private conversations and sharing just general life stuff. Nice. So, I guess the network's great and I love it, but I probably appreciate most the fact that I would consider Stephen to be a friend
0: now. Yeah.
1: So, that part of it's been unexpected. But that's how I discovered it. That was probably 2015, I reckon.
0: That's awesome. Better Podcasting also features in the very beginning of my podcasting journey and has been an amazing resource. I wasn't looking for creative fuel, but what I noticed about them was, like you said, they were representing the people who aren't those other shows, which aren't the big commercial ones. They are hobby podcasters, but they had just useful, helpful things that you could catch from the episodes. And The one thing about listening to things because you're not agreeing with them is that you find out what's missing and then you could maybe share that information to help those with it because they're not getting it and what's out there.
1: The other thing I liked about their show was that it's gone through multiple iterations Mm -hmm. of how they present the show. But one thing that they do that a lot of shows in the, well, let's just keep it to the podcast about podcasting genre, which couldn't be any more meta, but (laughs) a lot of those shows when they make a wholesale change or they change something about how the show is going to be. They make a big song and dance about how they use it as a learning opportunity about how you can change your show, and they talk about how they changed their show. And then the very next week, it's back to how it used to be. Yeah. (laughs) Because their motivations are mostly financial, and for whatever reason, people didn't react to that little change in offer or call to action or whatever they were trying to push. Then they're just back to what they were doing. All the changes through Better Podcasting are, and have been organic over time, where they're just experimenting, and that to me was the most analogous to how a hobby or independent show works. Yeah, it's about the core product being great first, and then experimenting with little tiny things, but not not trying to manipulate people in a different way every week to do some call to action for you. Yeah, like they cared about how to make the product that people listen to good,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they weren't hitting us over the head with "quote unquote" experiments. Every week, <laughs> they were just little natural things that change, because when you've got no resources, you have to change things a little bit each time. Because if your audience drops off, not all of us have the money or the you know the funnels or whatever the hell they call it <laughs> coming in, <laughs> yeah, to just go and promote the show with advertising to get the audience back up again. Yeah, their show, I guess, felt to me like. The natural life cycle of a show. They've got this great show called Better Podcasting Live Chat now, which I love even more than a normal show. Yeah. Because it's them. They're, they're great, it sounds great, it's presented so well. Cool. But there's an off the cuff element to it.
0: What I loved about them live streaming their recordings was that I got to see the behind the scenes of how they do their show. Like, you don't get to see the prep of them planning the episodes out necessarily because they've done all that by the time they get to recording. But the fact that you watch them record live and you see the step ups that happen you know then that they're not perfect just like you <laughs> doing your recording at home it's not going to go perfectly the first time you're going to have to cut bits out stephen Dunder is amazing at production
1: yes he's one of the best yeah
0: in terms of producing those things but also he puts down when he's got to make the changes in that and huge learning experience for me so valuable and an incredible part of my journey too.
1: And through those guys and for the absolute reason that you just mentioned that they kind of were showing how the sausage is made, so to speak, in the live version and they were leaving that up, I think, for up to a week, Yeah, that they attracted a gentleman by the name of Johnny Pennington. Oh, Johnny. Who he loved more than anything and I've come to know Johnny very well mm-hmm. through messaging. He's another person that I would consider a friend. And he's almost, although I haven't spoken to him in person for a while, he is openly offered as a former comedian and comedy writer for a long time in Houston, Texas, to help me become better at comedy and my writing. Oh. And I would never have met that guy. I wouldn't even have known he existed on planet Earth if it wasn't for better podcasting in that community. But he loved the show for that reason. And I remember at one point that I don't think the live version of the YouTube clip made it onto YouTube. Something it was corrupted or it didn't record or something. Mm-hmm. And it upset his week. Oh. Like his actual schedule for the week was I mean, he may go back. I don't, I'll have to ask Johnny in a message, but I don't even know whether he listens to the finished product because he loved the raw, this is how we're doing it phase. Yeah,
0: same.
1: And no other show put it out there like that. Yeah. Not the same way that they did. Yeah. Because there's, there's shows out there, the new media show and other other shows which are about what we do, Mm -hmm. but they're not bringing in visual elements and other screens and voiceovers and voice feedback and video from listeners and all that stuff that Better Podcasting were trying to do on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. And they attracted people like Johnny who have also found their way into my world. And now we're we're interacting about something altogether different, which I'm kind of now more focused on, which is trying to become good at stand-up. Yeah. Yeah, It's pretty amazing.
0: (laughs) I agree. I love that. That's an amazing story. I love Johnny Pennington. And the community that happens in the live chat when you're watching that I made time to make those live streams when I could I haven't been there for a long time and I miss that a lot it like I showed up to the live streams because they were live and you could connect with other people in the chat, but also not necessarily interact with them directly because they were recording, but they would talk to you before and afterwards as well. And they might interact with something during their recording. But yeah, just an amazing way of sharing that behind the scenes process, the sausage getting made, like you said. <laughs> so yeah, it's a huge place for connections. And I'm stoked that you've got that connection with Johnny for comedy, which is different to the thing that you set out or that you connected on in the first place.
1: For me being in Australia... It's been a really valuable insight into what it's really like to live in a COVID hotspot Mm -hmm. or live in an environment where you're in a state that's generally positive towards the former president of the United States, but his little group of friends are maybe not so positive about that particular person. Like it's been, if you took away everything that I've got out of that show, which is other than yourself, obviously, (laughs) you're an amazing person that I've met. Thanks, Stephen and Johnny would be two people that I would be very... Yeah. If you just took them away all of a sudden for whatever reason, I'd be pretty upset that I didn't get to know those people. They're incredible.
0: Yeah. 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 We've covered something that I really wanted to talk about in in terms of what have been the people and communities that have helped you on your journey. That has been a huge one, obviously. Have there been any others outside of Better Podcasting?
1: I did early on found the Australian Podcasters group on Facebook Mm -hmm. and it started, we worked hard to get that up to 50 people. Yeah. I didn't even know there was 50 independent creators in the whole country at that point. I think it was 2013 when I was just about to move to Melbourne. I created a little group for me and a couple of friends to chat about making shows. Yeah. And since then, I think it would be pushing nearly 2,000 members now. And I've I've since stood down. It was getting too hard for me to administer. And I do believe sometimes that the perfect person for creating something originally or a community or guiding that community isn't always the person that's best long-term. Yeah. Because I was probably a little bit too, once again, stuck in my snob bubble <laughs> of why people should create shows and I wasn't very engaging to the entrepreneurial people or the commercial radio people that came in and tried to tell us all how we should be doing everything. Okay. I was very adversarial towards them or I just would disengage Yeah, when really I could have Poked and prodded, and particularly the radio people try to get what is it that they know that we don't, Mm -hmm. and how can I bring them into the fold to realize that we're probably actually better at this than them at the moment? Yeah, but they have access to resources and knowledge that maybe we never will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so that group has become really incredible. And there's people in there, take James Cridland, for example, who's a huge person in our particular space in terms of making and breaking the news. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he used to and still does consider the group of such high quality that he will go in there. And I'm sure he does it other places too, but it's one of the few semi-public groups where he will share an article before it's published for feedback. Oh, nice. So it's maintained a level of quality and administration quality as well. It hasn't dropped off and become a spam fest at any point because the administrators are too tired yeah. or too worn out. But there's such a great group of admins. So that's another community. Mm-hmm. And probably is my greatest, most memorable moment in podcasting when I stepped down from that group. And the amount of people that thanked me for guiding the group and founding it really blew me away.
0: Aww.
1: Yeah. It's pretty special even now to me that you can impact people making anything, really. I used to do it with music, but that was kind of bound to a small part of the world because you can't play shows to people in another country if you're not in the country. (laughs) So, that's probably the other group, but not like Gunna Geek because I found that show... It appealed to me for many reasons, not just for making podcasts, but more so because they make podcasts and there's a few people on that network that aren't what I would call traditional nerds, quote unquote. (laughs) (laughs) There's a few people on there that like sport, like I do. Like I love basketball and tennis. I love tennis more than I love anything. (laughs) So that's another thing about the group is that it was almost like gentle nerd. (laughs) It wasn't wasn't full nerd. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I just mean it. It made me feel like, I could be into this stuff and talk with this about these guys, but it doesn't have to become a Superman versus... Aquaman argument every two seconds. Like, yeah. 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 So that was the other thing I liked about it. So, yeah, it's still the most special place on the internet for me. Wow,
0: that is awesome.
1: And is, is this a Gunna Geek Network advertisement today?
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, we're just plugging Gunna Geek Network yeah. today. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I mean, they could send us $100. US I think for both of us that's, what, about $150,000 $150, in Australia, <laughs> and New Zealand dollars. So,
0: <laughs> With Dead Set Podcasting, you want to help people uh, who are podcasting but you've talked to me about trying to get a perspective on what's happening here correct yeah with that and you mentioned the group that you founded so how is it going in Australia podcasting
1: it's thriving Mm -hmm. and I guess the weird and unique thing about Australia, and it's probably a little bit the same in the UK, that our community is not really adversarial towards radio. Okay. Because we have fantastic public radio shows, Mm -hmm. as in the ABC here. I'm not a massive fan of ABC's broadcast. I mean, I love Triple J growing up, which is a youth station, but the podcasts they produce are as good as anything in the world. And we also have one of, if not the strongest, commercial radio markets in terms of talent in the whole world. yeah, And New Zealand, I think, is a little bit the same. You guys have some of the best morning shows that there are in the entire world. So, the community as a whole is, I mean, there's obviously commercial pressures that public companies have when there are big media networks that we never would have mm-hmm. as independents, but it feels a little bit like unlike in the US, where we're all pushing in the same direction and no one's trying to crush the indie spirit in this country. And things like the Australian Podcast Awards, Mm -hmm. which I was lucky enough to be an early judge of. The first few years, that was pretty gratifying after making a thousand. ish shows that I thought were quite poor in quality. <laughs> they decided <laughs> to ask me anyway, so maybe that's full on them. But yeah, I got to judge hundreds of shows Oh, neat! and listen to little chunks. And this is one thing I'll, I guess, since we're on the podcasting rabbit hole here, <laughs> I'll just, <laughs> my feeling is that there are so many shows out there that you've never heard of that are so great that if you are making a show now, it's not 2012 or 2013 where it has to be okay to get an audience from judging two years at the Australian Podcast Awards. And granted, a lot of those shows were coming from, we have a layer of community radio here that's basically community funded radio, but it's semi-professional at times, mm-hmm. so a lot of the shows were quite extraordinary. Uh, they were in- independent shows, but with resources. So yeah, maybe it's a unique case, but there were 50% of the shows were 100% better than I expected them to be. Wow! So you can't come out, particularly in a little a market like Australia, where it's considered small in terms of global audio. Mm-hmm. I think we're punching well above our weight, for the lack of a better term. Uh, there's shows like Teacher's Pet, which I know when that came out a few years ago, a lot of people considered that the best show of any kind that came out that year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe it would have to be maybe the top 50 best podcast maybe ever. I'm sure – I'm thinking it would be on nearly everybody's list if they made a list, not that I agree with lists, Heather, but <laughs> if there was a list, it would have to be on there because it was absolutely extraordinary. So yeah, yeah the, the industry is good. And what I like most is that the independent industry is both resilient to commercial pressure here. We're not getting pushed mm-hmm. down by the fact that every radio show has a podcast now, but yeah. we're interacting with the bigger media here through awards and quite often beating them in the same categories because the shows are so, of such high quality here. So- Yeah, it's exciting times, and I'm happy I get to help people make a couple of those shows.
0: Absolutely. That is awesome. It's so good to hear. Like, it's always interesting to hear because the market of podcasting generally tends to be heavily weighted in the US how things are going around the rest of the world. And I feel like things are at small scale here because <laughs> we don't have podcast awards. I messaged the Australian podcast awards and I was like, it'd be so amazing if that was here and if you could include New Zealand podcasts <laughs> too.
1: I actually know the founder of that. I'm not sure how much sway how much Dave still has, but he's an incredible person. So maybe he might have to expand it to Australasia or something.
0: That would be neat. I'm so excited for what's happening over there. That sounds really cool. And that you're a part of it.
1: And I think for me, since I started doing stand-up, I mean, I haven't really done it, let's be honest. I've done a few shows and I've done three or four professional shows, Mm -hmm. ticketed shows with really high quality headliners that are doing big shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't be completely crap. (laughs) I had to be (laughs) at least a little bit good to not look like an idiot on the same stage as those people. It's taught me kind of two things. One, Mm -hmm. it's such a rush. More than I've played hundreds of gigs and I played on our band, although not very successful, we got a few chances to play some really big festivals and different stuff. And that's a rush. But the rush from doing stand-up and getting even a couple of laughs is something I can't describe. The first time I did it, I didn't sleep. Oh, wow. And I'm not a very hyped-up person. (laughs) Like It takes a lot for me to get hyped up. (laughs) And I just couldn't sleep. I went to work the next day and was basically at that point a zombie. But (laughs) it was so extraordinary, the feeling that I got. And I'm assuming over time, you know, that feeling will probably dissipate a little bit, but it allowed me not really to have all my validation tied up in how well my podcasts were doing. Okay. Yeah. Or like I'm starting to care more about things like what, again, better podcasting talk about, things like engagement and feedback. Yeah. And. Really impacting one person, if that person bothers to tell you that they did, <laughs> that it was impactful, <laughs> can mean more than getting a 1,000 downloads. Absolutely. Because numbers can mean anything. And if you happen to be putting your show somewhere on the internet like a SoundCloud, the numbers do mean nothing. They could be 90% inaccurate. You don't know what you're looking at. So that has been a real big learning for me that mm-hmm. I have moved my creative self-worth across, I guess, like butter across a bigger piece of toast. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't, I don't rely on the numbers in my podcast anymore growing by X amount or if there's a little dip, it doesn't bother me because it just meant that maybe that episode didn't hit as hard with people and they didn't share it to as many people. Yeah. But I've also got a little show called Tips of the Slung, which is a 50-second comedy show or thereabouts, <laughs> so it can fit into an Instagram post. Yeah. And if I get one or two people message me or comment that it really made them laugh, like I have recently, mm-hmm. that means more to me than anything I've done in podcasting in terms of how the shows are going. Yeah. I wasn't 100% on board with that, Heather, okay. that engagement means as much as numbers. Because yeah. in my mind, I have thought, well, we all filter through shows. So, if you're not growing your numbers, like I don't listen to the same shows I did in 2012 and I don't listen to the same shows I did in 2016. Mm -hmm. So, for me, numbers were important, I thought, because you're kind of over time gaining and losing audience. But along the way, I've been trying to memorialize, I think it might be the word, like those bits of feedback into one place. So, I can see along the way that there was bits of feedback that meant something to me because it's easy to forget about it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. One of my favorite episodes of Better Podcasting, what is podcast success? And it was great because I got podcasters to chip in with what their definition of success is. And I loved that because for me, it is whatever you define it to be. It could be for someone numbers. It could be for someone else engagement and whatever. And for me, I am on the engagement side of things. Yep. The numbers don't mean anything. It still feels like you're talking to a void to me. So when you hear from someone about what it, what impact it had, It blows my mind because I still have that disconnect between uh, thinking that something I said had an impact on someone else.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's funny. That episode, I think I might have offered some audio feedback. And it was when I started to change a little bit of my perspective on how I was viewing what I was putting out into the world was around that time. From memory, that might have been 2017-ish. I think. Yeah. And I was right in the middle of making a show called On the Bubble, the first season, which is very demanding. And I don't encourage anybody to do a super highly produced show about something as niche as a subcategory of a subcategory of a subcategory of TV. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can put 20 hours in for an episode and get 20 listeners. (laughs) Like, as much as numbers don't matter, sometimes you have to be like, oh, is that really worth it? But yeah. I think I put on some feedback on their website or however they were taking submissions, one thing that success meant to me was, and still does, if I can listen back to what I've created a few weeks or a few months later and think, oh, I, if I didn't make that, I'd still really like it. Yeah. And that's a, mostly maybe a quality judgment as well as an, you know if you're enjoying what you're listening to. Mm-hmm. But I, for a very long time, was so critical of everything that came out. And it's, like, I don't know whether you've ever played in a band, Heather, but if you ever record a song, all you hear for the first three or four years after you record is what was wrong with the part that you played. Not the yeah. whole song, not the vocal, not the lyrics. Like you, when you listen to another band's song, you hear the song as a whole. Yeah. When you listen to your own song, all you hear is how poorly you played some bend in the middle of a <laughs> solo or why did I turn that chorus pedal on? It sounds like it's from the 1980s on a keyboard or whatever. <laughs> so it took me a long time to get used to... So separating myself from what I was making. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it was just I hadn't learned that you need to allow some time to forget about some of the hardships of making the thing. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Before you start to listen to it or evaluate it or watch it or whatever you're doing. But I think if you're, if you're listening back to something you're making or watching it or whatever, or looking at a picture and you don't like it, I mean, there's probably some value in that because it can help you improve. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, I don't, it doesn't speak to me at all, then maybe you're making things for the wrong reason.
0: Yeah, that's a valid point. And also the point you made about investing so much into something that doesn't really
1: have <laughs> <laughs> any potential audience. <laughs>
0: Well, not just the potential audience, but just that, you know, is more effort than the perceived value. Let's put it that way.
1: I mean, I've learned to be a lot better at making shows. Yeah. I would not be good at editing to the level that I am or production without making that show. There
0: you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: But the problem with making a show about TV and a subcategory of TV that's mostly genre TV is that the feedback you do get will be so off base. It'll be about some issue they had with the director in season two, <laughs> like one episode where they didn't like the political theme of the episode or something. I'm like, that's not what On the Bubble's about. We're talking about the fans that tried to save the show after it got cancelled. Yeah. Not about some weird concept episode three seasons in that you hated. <laughs> so even the feedback was usually not particularly great. Oh, that's tricky. I put an episode up about Stargate. Mm-hmm. I thought that other j- fandoms were opinionated. Let's just use that word for the lack of a better one. Okay. That is nuts. Like, there's comments on there on the YouTube post for that that take longer to read than my episode oh, was, yeah. which was 10 minutes. Wow. Like, I got halfway through the feedback. I'm like, I'm out. I'm out.
0: <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I understand if people drop out of the episode halfway through because I can't dedicate 10 minutes to this guy's comment either. So,
0: Oh, boy. That's an impact, right, I guess, in a way. The things that inspire you and help your creative passion, has it changed in the last 12 months or so?
1: No. The last three years? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. When I was a full musician guy, we were kind of in that band at the time, 2012, 2013. We're probably as good as we'd ever been as a band, but we were coming to the end of about a decade of slogging away and we were starting to run out of energy. Mm -hmm. And then I had some unrelated health issues from an injury and it kind of sent me down a bit of a spiral of, I've got to change my whole life here. I'm getting old. i just turned 30. (laughs) (laughs) It's not old. Yeah. I decided to move from where I live, which is a third of the way to Sydney from Melbourne, between our two biggest cities here. Mm -hmm. Albury-Wodonga, I moved to Melbourne. Which is the capital of Victoria, the southern state yeah. on the mainland, and that was a pretty rough time because I wasn't—I was under resourced to move to at that time probably the most expensive city in Australia in terms of how much prices were increasing every month yeah. on rent and tolls and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. How much it costs to take public transport took a little jump as well. Yeah, so that was a rough time and there was a lot of financial pressure and I didn't—I went there thinking I was ready to make a big move to a very busy, expensive place and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I came back and I wasn't in the best place with mental health related, I'll be honest. And But during that time, one thing that I found solace in was for the first time listening to comedians. Cool. I mean, I'd always loved watching comedy. Yeah. And I loved going to the International Comedy Festival in Melbourne if I had the chance. Mm-hmm. But I discovered Bill Burr's Monday morning podcast and I don't want to be hyperbolical, but he, he kept me above, you know, I could have sunk into an ocean of, I guess, depression. But once a week, who I regard as one of the funniest people in the world, and obviously he's not particularly popular this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for whatever reason, but he was so funny and so raw, but also just so down to earth for a person that it was regarded by a lot of people as one of the great comedians of all time. Yeah. I thought, okay, this guy makes me laugh in a way that I just can't be unhappy for 90 minutes a week. Yeah. He has the funniest ad reads of any media I've ever heard. His ad reads are funnier than most people's comedy set. (laughs) And he's... If for no other reason, if you're listening to this and you're a podcaster and you're like, oh, i have no interest in Bill Burr, just go listen to some of his ad reads. There, <laughs> yeah. really, really funny. <laughs> so that made me realize that oh, I can be happy outside of just this show because if I wasn't thinking it was manifesting kind of thing that I would be happy cool. for an hour or two hours. Yeah. So I, I dived well and truly into comedy at that point and I discovered more people that were around Bill and his world and then Ali Wong and Whitney Cummings and all these people that were hilarious and I started following on Instagram and I kind of started seeing how they were talking about comedy. They don't overtly talk about it like we do with podcasting. There's no better podcasting for better comedy. It's a little bit more, not secretive, but insular than that and maybe ambiguous as to what's good and what's bad comedy. But I got enough stuff out of it that I became interested in the art form itself. I love that. And one thing I started to realize was that as much as I liked being good at guitar or whatever, when I thought about my whole music career, the moments I remember is when I made people in really famous bands laugh uh-huh. or just people in general, my own bandmates in the car. like A lot of the time, if there was stress in the band or that we weren't getting along, I my job was to make everyone laugh to the point where... Their worries went away a little bit, Aww. or it just made the situation seem so silly that we weren't agreeing with each other. <laughs> so, I've used comedy for a long time to diffuse tense nice. situations. And I'm like, Oh, well, I never put any stock in why I was good at that, or whether what it is about making people laugh that I get so much joy out of. But when I discovered Bill and all the people around him, I started mm-hmm. to think about that more. That as much as I care about being a serious prog rock guy, <laughs> <laughs> like Tool or a perfect circle or Mars Volta, they're never going to ring me up and say, Hey, Josh, do you want to come be a r- guitar player for a tour. (laughs) So I just went heavier into comedy. And then one day I went to an open mic around here, middle of 2019 in a little tiny bookshop. And all my intention was, Heather, was just to see what it was about Mm -hmm. and see, can I overcome my natural shyness enough for this not to be torture, for the lack of a better term? Yeah, (laughs) is just watching it so intimidating that there's no way I could actually do it. And just in case I got asked to get up, because I had this feeling that if I went and I've made all these people laugh before, four just in conversations, a little enough for them to know, oh, he's a little bit funny, that maybe they'll call me up. <laughs> and I didn't want to be caught off guard because I like to be mm-hmm. prepared for things because I do tend to get nervous yeah. when I'm put on the spot. I had a tiny little card with three jokes written on it. And I got up there and did really well. <laughs> Yay. I was so nervous that my leg was shaking oh. like I was almost going to turn all the way around and face backwards. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I started looking at my foot. I'm like, oh, okay, it's moving to the yeah. left. It's not meant to go that <laughs> way. But I made people laugh and obviously the the material was not very good. It wasn't even remotely good, but the feeling I had, that's what kept me awake for 24 hours. That's
0: amazing.
1: My whole life has changed, but obviously the last 12 months, my plan was leave my previous job, big IT manager job and move into working part-time and then pursue doing open mics in Melbourne, which is our biggest comedy city and luckily the one that I'm closest to and then COVID. Well, firstly, we had bushfires and my dad was caught in those bushfires. So I was basically going to be his evacuation point. So I couldn't go anywhere in January of 2020 and then by the middle of March... I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Did
0: you build your studio or finish work on your studio last year or was that prior?
1: Yeah, well, my plan was actually to move to Melbourne yeah. and then the fires and COVID. COVID made it an impractical choice. Mm. You don't move to a city that's struggling to control no. a pandemic in the middle of a pandemic, no. unless you've got a really you know compelling reason to do so. Yeah. But yeah, I, I built the studio mm-hmm. and that's afforded me the chance to make great shows, but also to bring in some comedians nice. from out of town Cool. that will hopefully now that we can, at least within Australia, and I know people are in different situations around. In the world, but we're getting to the point where we can move a little bit more freely. Yeah. In terms of the mask regulations are coming down in certain parts of Australia, and we haven't had any community cases. You know, that's good for a while in certain parts, like in Sydney and Melbourne. It feels. I mean, I don't want to say it's under control because no. that would be be stupid. Yeah. But it's to the point where some level of normality can occur, mm-hmm. which should mean I can actually start going to do comedy. That's exciting. Yeah. But the studio would not have happened if 2020 was normal. Yeah. Because I would. I was planning to use all that money to go to America and to go to New Zealand.
0: (laughs) I hear you. Yeah. I had a trip booked for the US last year of May twenty twenty. And I knew before March that it wasn't gonna happen and March was a confirmation and it was just heartbreaking because it had taken two years to save up for that and put all your hopes and dreams into it really and then nope. Never mind. Also (laughs) grateful that it didn't happen in that sense because of what happened so it was safer to be at home. But just yeah. It is hard, but something good came out of it in the sense that you were able to make your studio and how that's now going to bring people together as things get more flexible with movement.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. More more flexibility is what we're looking at in Australia at the moment. Yeah. So, I mean, I did a lot of what I wouldn't have done, which is writing. Oh,
0: cool.
1: And I watched a lot of specials once or twice for enjoyment and also for learning. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I could have been going down to Melbourne every week doing open mics and that would obviously have helped me deal with certain things. Yeah. How to be on stage, how to be more confident, how to not look nervous when I'm holding the mic out of the stand as opposed to in the stand. Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. but there's certain things that I really knuckled down on. And not to go too nerd comedy after going nerd podcasting, but I, <laughs> I knuckled down on what's the tenth funny joke I can come up with from this premise, not the third. Interesting, because yeah, like how far into this, how far can I dig into this idea, and where do I get to? Yeah, and is that more interesting than what I would have taken on stage, which maybe would have been the first, second, or third idea of whatever I'm talking about? I'm not sure. I, I feel like. And it has to prove out on stage. And my last gig was my best gig. So some of it's working. But cool. the writing is something that I've had to focus on. Mm-hmm. And I've found that I'm writing very different kind of stuff. And some of the jokes I'm writing backwards now, which I never was doing beforehand. <laughs> like I was, I've was, i got a weird, crazy punchline in my head. And I'm like, okay, well, how do I get to that? Yeah. And that's something that I wouldn't have done before because I hadn't discovered it. And <laughs> that uh-huh. was kind of forced upon me. So I'm trying to stay positive. Yeah. And I realise not everyone can. Heather, I mean, I'm lucky enough that I don't know anybody that's directly was affected. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and that I think I would have a different perspective, and I probably wouldn't be as positive about you know my own circumstance if someone had been affected directly. But yeah, yeah, I'm trying to stay positive. I'd also I think sometimes I used to think stay positive was like some silly woo-woo immature thing. <laughs> like the world's hard the world's hard it's not easy yeah absolutely yeah but I think now I've grown up a little bit and I realize well, you've got two options you can either wallow in this yeah or you can try to look at the good things about it and kind of let them occupy your mind so yeah
0: I love that I love that you mentioned about the mental health podcast that you're part of before and we'll make sure I link that in the show notes of this episode but also that comedy was something that helped helped you so much in your journey and that you've had the time and space to work on it and build the studio and all those things that some good things happened in the world because that's nice to know it is good to stay positive and have (laughs) good news
1: (laughs) yeah things and i'm sure your news was like our news that for a while there was no good news for a very long time so and i'm not sure if today's gone anywhere you're expecting it to go but
0: (laughs) it has thank you Uh, very good (laughs) all good things come with our conversations i think and tangents are good things and these conversations aren't meant to be strict interviews where we stick to the set questions that I have. Yeah, yeah. But we've answered them in roundabout way anyway and it's always good to hear from you and hear what's happening for you. So thank you for sharing. Where are people able to find more so they can hear what you're doing and find what you're doing?
1: I guess the easiest way, honestly, is probably just to follow at Joshua C. Liston on Twitter. Mm -hmm. That's where everything goes. So, Punching Sideways, which is my local show, which is the one that's crowdfunded by local people that I do with my co-host Mel. That's probably the thing that takes up most of my creative time, Mm -hmm. other than trying to write jokes. I post Tips of the Slung on there, which is a, that's the little sub one minute sketch show. That one I will warn people, that's not safe for work, so don't play that. Okay. But- I posted as a little video on Twitter, so you don't even have to listen to the podcast. It's so short. <laughs> you can just listen to it on there. Yeah. Uh, that's the one that gets a lot of laughs from people. Nice. I don't know whether they're just being supportive or whether they're really laughing, but either way, I don't care. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> and... That's where Dead Set Podcasting ends up as well. So you may find on there that I take a lot of shots at the podcasting industry in failed ways. Hopefully they're funny. (laughs) And if you're sensitive to that or you work for a podcasting company, probably avoid my Twitter account. (laughs) Otherwise, yeah, I think that's probably the... I mean, you can find me on Instagram as well, at Joshua C. Liston. And my website, where everything lives, Mm -hmm. is a little bit of a tricky one, but it's jcaldigital.org. So J-C-A-L-Digital.org. And that's where all those shows are. So including on the Bubble Podcast, which is the highly produced narrative-y kind of show that's on the Gunner Geek Network as well.
0: Nice. Thank you so much for sharing all of those. I hope that people enjoy checking them out. I definitely appreciate you very much and our connection, and I can't wait to keep our conversations and sharing our journeys as we go along. Thanks so much, Josh.
1: Well, likewise, I appreciate you and everything that you do. I'm really excited about Justheathers.com. I've been looking at it. I went and had a look at it the other day. It's actually much further along than you were trying to convince me of a few weeks ago. So <laughs> congrats on that. It's looking very beautiful and aesthetically how I'd expect it to look from you. Just all the shots are really nicely framed Aww, and thank you.
0: you know, it
1: looks quite quite lovely. Thank you. And yeah, if people are out there and they want some level of podcasting advice that falls a little bit in line with the perspective and the outlook of better podcasting, then maybe DeadSet set. Podcasting is a show they might also like. So
0: absolutely. Until next time, Josh. Take care.
1: (laughs) Righto, mate. Take care. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Josh, for sharing your time with me to have this conversation. And thank you, listener, for listening and sharing your feedback. We would love to hear from you. If you have a connection with Josh or you find one after listening, please share them with us. And if there's someone you know who might benefit from discovering more about Josh, we would love you to share it with them too. All of the details of this episode can be found at justheathers.com forward slash guests. And until next time.